and welcome to Faith FM Australia, 87.6, 87.8 and 88 FM. It is such a beautiful day outside today. Well, at least it was yesterday. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the show, Christopher, who is standing in for Lyle. Lyle, who is away. He's up north in Kingscliff teaching a Daniel and Revelation component of a Bible course. Oh, very nice. Yes, and we're standing in for him. And the reason why it was a beautiful yesterday and we're not quite sure about what it is today is because this is the delayed broadcast, dear listener. And uh, do you know what? You can actually very easily just jump across to the live show, can't they? Oh, that's it. There are so many different ways that you can listen to us live. Of course, you can find us on your local radio station, but you can also check us out on the TuneIn app. So... Man, it's so easy. You can you can participate. You can have fun. Mm-hmm. You can answer the quiz questions. You can send in questions of your own. Yeah. We can have some interactions, some dialogue. So make sure to come and join us on the live broadcast sometime when you get the chance. Yeah, the TuneIn app is free to download. You can just download it to any device that you have and then just search for Faith FM Australia. You, I mean, you don't even have to download the app if you don't really want to. You can just jump on our website, which is faithfm.com.au and just press play. Press play on the live stream and you can join us live. This deal just keeps getting better and better. Yeah. <laughs> but we've had a wonderful weekend because today is Monday for us, even though it's Tuesday for you. But we've had a wonderful weekend. What are you grateful for today, by the way, Chris? I am grateful for a bit of an early start. I'm not normally a morning person, but I kind of enjoy just doing something different, waking up a little bit earlier and getting to see the sunrise. And uh, yeah, it was a nice it was a nice way to start off my day, I'd mm-hmm. say. That elusive sunrise. I wonder how many yes. people these days on our planet actually see a sunrise anymore. Now we go to bed and it's dark and we wake up and we're like, that sun had better be up. It yeah. had better be up. <laughs> well, I had a pretty incredible weekend. I'll tell you what I'm grateful for. I mean, the weekend itself, I think, is what I'm grateful for today. I, and I have a sunburn to prove it. So I'm not sure if you were aware, but we had a lot of um, festivals happening uh, up here in the Newcastle area where we broadcast from. Um, Tough Truck was on out in Singleton. So if you're a bit of a a petrol head and you like your four-wheel driving and your trucks and you're a bit of a a guy, I suppose. (laughs) I've never heard the phrase petrol head before, (laughs) so I'm just kind of losing it. (laughs) That's great. I like that. Well, that was happening, but so was Steam Fest, which is where I went and I had a just Bonzer of a time. Mm. So Steamfest is a uh, festival celebrating and showcasing all things steam-powered. Because I don't know if you know the way that I know, Christopher. Okay. But I am a bit of a, a train geek. I love me some trains. Nice, nice. Yeah, I uh, particularly like old trains. Travel, uh, travel. my favorite type of travel is train travel. Uh, interesting. hands down. And uh, I had this wonderful festival and they um, were showcasing all these old steam trains. They were so cool. And they had you know, all these different kind of engines and they even had some trucks there all steam power it was just wonderful and they had a race between a steam train and a tiger moth airplane whoa it's just so bonkers I, yeah, I who won the um the, the, the plane just a little bit just by oh, a little bit just by a little that's bit. all right he was it was the little train that can't that could he uh-huh. said i think i can and <laughs> i mean he got there he got there and not only that but uh after I finished looking at everything there was to see at Steamfest, I went for a little walk around Maitland because it was in the Maitland area. And um, would you believe I came across this wonderful little you know, nook and cranny secondhand bookstore. And um, I'm sure any of you that love bookstores right now are going, oh, yes, I know exactly what she means. <laughs> and, uh, and so I was 
deep down in this in this bookshop, just getting immersed and lost in this bookshop. And lost track of time and didn't realise the bookshop shut. <gasps> and, no. the, <laughs> and they didn't check to see if there was any customers still left. Got myself locked in a bookshop. No way. Not the first time I've been locked into a shop of sorts, but this one I couldn't get myself out of because they was barricaded and padlocked from the outside. And, uh, and thankfully, praise the Lord, I did manage to get out because um, I was banging on the barricade <sighs> and the waitress at the cafe next door heard me and she had a key. So Oh, glad to hear there was a <laughs> Happy ending to that story. Yes. Although, you know, I totally would not have minded sleeping in the bookstore overnight. Also, wouldn't be the first time I spent a night (laughs) surrounded by books because I have spent a night in a library. Anyway, that's a story for another day. (laughs) Other good news. Oh, yes. My juice fast is going well. Nice, nice. So today is day eight of 30. Okay. And I have already lost uh, two kilos. Whoa. Hey, that's pretty cool. Yeah, maybe you can join me on this juice fast. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I think I'm thinking I'm happy sticking to my cat food that I get at college. Uh, I'm fine with that. Yeah, you, you don't you don't look unhealthy. You look fit, young. I'm in my prime, Definitely spring chicken. Fasting, nothing. We have a wonderful show coming up for you today. Uh, we have Josh Gonzalez, who is sharing his testimony, his journey of faith, and what he's doing for God now. Um, incredible story. He used to be a gangster, would you believe? Um, almost lost his life in gang violence. Um, we have our encounter with God. Yes, and... We're, we're looking at Daniel and Revelation. Lyle, you're missing out. You're talking about Revelation mm-hmm. somewhere else. You could be here with us, but hey, we're going to have fun and uh, it's going to be cool going through that. What else do we have on our program? Oh, we have the giveaway, the question of the day. Oh, we have correct. our quiz, which you didn't get right. I'm so oh, pleased about my. that. Whoa, what is this? What is <laughs> but do you know what, dear delayed listener? It's okay. You can still join in. And if you know the answer to the prize, you can still actually call us up or message us. We often still give prizes to our delayed listeners, even though it is a better show if you jump across to our live show, where we hope we will, we will find you one day soon. So stay tuned. We have some great programming up. Programming coming up. We have some wonderful songs, and uh, we hope you have a wonderful Tuesday because we had a wonderful Monday, and we're sure it'll be just as good. But right now, this is Hillary Scott and the Scott family with "Come to Jesus," a beautiful hymn. We hope you enjoy the show.
Welcome back. You are listening to Faith FM with Positively Different Radio, the breakfast show here this morning with Mon and Christopher filling in for Lyle. We hope you're having a wonderful Monday morning like we are. Oh, yes. Yeah, just in case you aren't, Christopher, you have some good news for us, don't you? I have plenty of good news. Oh, it's really, It really is more of a question of uh, what news do you want first? Actually, do you know what I want first? Okay. I'm going to hit you with the quiz first, actually. Oh, okay. It's a good idea. Good idea. All right. Go for it. Go for it. Let me rip the carpet out from underneath you. Okay. This is an unusual quiz. This is a what number am I quiz. That's obscure. Mm, Okay. Very obscure. Okay. So clue one. When Jesus fed the 5,000, he had people sit down in groups of this size. Do you think you know it? Maybe uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna definitely gonna need another clue to confirm it. I have a number, but I cannot say with certainty if that's correct. So. I, feel like, I feel like kids might get this because you know we often tell the story about Jesus feeding the five thousand in our, you know, at, at in our little kindy classes. At yeah, church. yeah. And so they probably remember the details a lot better than us adults who haven't yeah, heard the story in a while. I, yeah, so. I haven't heard it in a while. So I'm just, I, I know there were like twelve baskets of food left over, and I know there's five thousand people. The one number I don't know in that story <laughs> is that one. So Jesus fed the five thousand. And he had people sit down in groups of this size. What number uh, of people were in each group? If you know the answer, give us a call 1 800 Faith FM. That's 1 800 324 843. Or text us 0491 064 669. And you can win the prize, which today is a Melissa Otto CD album. Tell us your good news, Christopher. All right. Well, do you remember uh, this? Big internet craze that went on uh, a couple of years back, and that was the Ice Bucket Challenge. How can I forget? I did that thing. You did it. I did it. Well, see, I've got to admit, I thought it was a little bit silly, but I'm going to retract that today. Thank you. Because of some <laughs> some gr- some awesome news that's come around. Um, Please don't tell me they're doing it again. No, <laughs> it's not uh, Ice Bucket Challenge, the, the Ice Strikes Back. It's not some <laughs> bad sequel. Return um, of the Bucket. Yeah, Return of the Bucket. No, um, so... For those who don't know, there was this viral challenge, Ice Bucket Challenge. It's kind of self-explanatory. You pour cold ice on you. Uh, But the idea was that it was raising awareness and raising uh, funding for this disease called ALS, which is this disease which progressively um, causes uh, a loss of basically motor function of the body. And uh, one of the guys who co-founded this idea uh, of the Ice Bucket Challenge he has now gotten to a stage where he is able to talk again. Uh, so for a while, he had lost his voice due to the disease taking it away. Uh, and there was this technology. There is a, Prior to this, there was a technology that allowed uh, ALS patients to speak via computer programming, but a lot of them didn't necessarily like the idea because the voice was very impersonal. It was quite robotic. Uh, I think probably not too dissimilar from what we, you know, associate the Stephen Hawking sort of voice from that kind of computer programming Mm -hmm. thing. So as a a result of that, many people didn't really um, want it. But now uh, there's this new international initiative known as Project Revoice, which is actually recreating the voices of these patients so that they can uh, use the, the programming, but with their, that person's voice. Wow. Which is... Absolutely ridiculous. It's crazy how they're able to do that. Um, and so this guy, Quinn, uh, here's a quote from him. He says, it's strange. It's a strange feeling saying your first words a second time, which, yeah, I heard that. I was like, wow, that is really weird. 
you know, to kind of have I that experience. I didn't realize that the, the founder of the Ice Packet Challenge was also a sufferer from, uh, from ALS. Yeah, uh, and I'm not sure if the other, because uh, it says he's a co-founder, I'm not sure if the other person is also an ALS patient or not, but it, I think it's really cool. Um, it's wonderful that, you know, we can actually see the results of all our fundraising. Exactly. And how that, how that money's been used. And then we now have, you know, a news report telling us that, the you know, the, the the research and the breakthroughs that they've had that's incredible yeah it's all paid off um and what i really like is that his attitude was not kind of like to sit back and go like oh well you know this is my lot in life there's nothing i can do about it he decided to initiate change and not only for himself but also for other people which is uh, amazing very amazing that's super impressive i actually wouldn't i would totally i would totally do the ice packer challenge you again. do it again, <laughs> again. yeah yeah that's uh, that's that's making me happy <laughs> nice well uh if you want you can actually go to youtube and you can hear this guy talk and see him talk all about uh how happy he is to have his voice back so probably a video we'll stick that on our facebook i reckon yeah let's yeah. do that yeah that sounds great i'd love to hear him speak especially you know there's such a point way to say it say your first words again for the second time. Oh, yeah. That, that would be a crazy experience. And then we have our second good news story for the day. The headline being, she heard one child's plea in Liberia and it turned into schools for 1,500 girls. Wow. Yeah. Pretty crazy. All right. The the plot thickens or doesn't. Rather, it gets more clear. <laughs> anyway, so um, we have this lady, mm-hmm. uh, Katie Mailer. Uh, she was... Going overseas to Liberia uh, on a Samaritan's Purse trip. Uh, for those who don't know, Samaritan's Purse is like a, it's like an NPO, non-profit organization, or uh, something of that effect. They mm-hmm. you know they do a lot of humanitarian work. Mm-hmm. And she meets this girl Abigail, who's eleven years old, and is essentially selling herself on the streets of Liberia for clean drinking water. Oh. I mean, can you imagine having to do that? Um, and she basically begs this uh, this lady, Katie, to give her education. Um, and the, the sad thing about uh, Liberia at the moment as well, it's in the middle of a 14-year civil war, which I didn't even know that was going on. Wow. Uh, and as a result of that, uh, I think 80% of the schools, it says here, have been destroyed in the crossfires here. So it's really difficult uh, for anyone to get education there, particularly young girls. Mm. Uh, and so this this lady Katie, you know, most people would just kind of, you know, they'd, they'd hear this girl ask for help and then be like, well, you know, what can I do? I'm not, I can't really do much and not really pursue it further. But she goes back home. Uh, she goes to a business consultant and coach and then they just start planning, okay, how can we make this thing happen? And I just heard that. I was like, oh my goodness. I don't know if I've ever been that passionate about anything. Mm-hmm. Like I hear something and I just go, bam, let's go. You know, straight to a business consultant. Uh, And then she created basically her organization called More Than Me. Um, And this organization works with the Liberian Ministry of Education. Like, that's how high level uh, this stuff is. And they basically their mission is to rebuild the education system and ensure uh, that a lot of the young girls in um, Liberia have access to basic human rights. And the objective is that every child will attend and graduate primary school prepared to take their next step in life, which in turn will bring stability to the country and grow the economy. Um, They're able to send five girls to school in their first year. Mm -hmm. By 2017, they were schooling 1,500 children. 
and their goal is to educate 250,000 by the year 2020. Praise the Lord. Yeah, so there are amazing things going on uh, over in Liberia with this organization. Uh, and here are some really like fascinating stats. I'll tell you what, whenever somebody says to me, Want to hear some stats? I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> sure. But like when it's something of, as exciting stats. as this, yeah. good news stats, give them to me. Um, an extra year of primary school boosts girls' eventual wages by 10 to 20%. Wow. Uh, an extra year of secondary school, 15 to 25%. So that is uh, incredible, especially when you think of how this story began. It was with this young girl, Abigail, uh, selling herself off at the streets just for clean drinking water. And yet here... We have, um, yeah, the the potential for these girls to get education. Yeah, I don't know if you heard um, a few weeks ago, Lyle and I did a segment on, you know, what makes a community happy because we, we discovered there were studies somewhere like different communities actually have different levels of happiness and mm. you can actually move to a happier place um, if you're unhappy. And, uh, and it turns out that one of the key things that makes a community happier is that the Girls, in particular the females, um, mm. receive education from a young age because interesting, yeah, because they can. They're usually the ones that are tasked with the responsibility of bringing up the children. They're more involved in that in that regard, and if they're educated, they can elevate the uh, the the level of education of their children. It's something that passes ah, down from generation yeah, yeah. to generation, and so in the end, it changes an entire community. It changes entire generation, entire um, you know landscape of, of of a community, which is incredible. So. And that's it's so funny the two stories you told me today the um the, how they juxtapose one where people are throwing buckets of water over themselves yeah. and the other one where children are selling their bodies just to get some clean water mm. so that is definitely good news that this lady um has set up a school and uh, and praise the Lord for that and uh, we'll put that story up on, as well on our website and maybe if you'd like to check her out and check out her story and you know find out a way that you can get involved or donate I'm sure there'll be details on there as well we're going to have another song bake this is Keith and Christy Getty Speak O Lord <laughs>
are listening to Faith FM Breakfast Show with Mon and Christopher filling in for Lyle. Christopher, yes. I have some heavy questions for you this morning. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so I don't know if you heard about the news. Uh, Commonwealth Games, um, the marathon that they had, where the Scottish marathoner, so the marathon runner representing Scotland, um, collapsed. 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 I hadn't heard about this. I have. Uh, I haven't really been keeping up with the Commonwealth Games uh, this year, so I don't know much about this story. So, well, this one hit my radar simply because of the actions of humanity, which is something that always does interest me. Yes, I'm not a huge sport fanatic, um, but I, <laughs> I certainly am interested in uh, how humans often respond mm. to situations that they weren't expecting. So, we have this marathon race, and uh, the marathoner collapses um, partway through the marathon. And um, there's been a lot of criticism because of how long it took the paramedics to um, to attend to the marathoner. But the thing that really, really caught my attention is this photograph of a person lying on the street, obviously, you know, in a bit of a state, mm. and the spectators taking selfies. Wow. Taking pictures of the guy lying on the ground instead of helping Wow, that says a lot about the human yeah. condition. Wow. Yeah. And then we also have the issue, um, there's other, the other marathon runners, but are also copping flack now because um, they ran straight past him and kept going to the finish line, um, you know, to take out the gold. So the question is, would you have run past this guy if you were a marathon runner? And if you were a spectator, what would you have done? Okay, I'm going to go runner first. Uh, From my experience, because I remember back in school, I used to do a lot of like, you know, cross country races, which I suppose is like mini marathon for kids. And I'm trying to remember if ever there was an instance where that happened, where like somebody had fallen. And I remember I fell once. I was coming in first place. And then this guy just came from behind me and intentionally tripped me. And I grazed my knee. And... uh, I was so annoyed because he ended up beating me and the teacher was like, okay, you get tied first. I'm like, tied first, disqualify him. He tripped me over. That's not good sportsmanship. Um, So I remember a time I fell over, but I'm not sure. Um, And see, I remember, I know whenever you like watch a movie or watch a TV show where something like this happens, they always want you to know, take away the good moral and, you know, somebody always comes and helps them. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, I, I I kind of have to wonder whether I would or wouldn't because, you know, obviously uh, when you're racing, everyone's in that mindset of, you know, I'm here to win, um, you know, I'm not here to help or whatever. Um, so, and here's the thing. I think I might find a racer keeping on going more excusable than everyone else. Yeah. Uh, like the paramedics. Yeah. The, the Everyone else who was watching, like they then it's not like they're doing anything else. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, people who are in the race, it's like, okay, yeah, your job is to run. Um, but everyone else, like, yeah, you could come and do something, especially the paramedics. Why did they take so long? You know, um, I think, I think that's a, a, a real issue, a real problem. I think, um, but here's the thing again if I were a bystander I'm not sure I would have done anything either um, I actually looked into this uh, recently last year this thing called the bystander effect and the idea is that the more people that there are in a setting mm-hmm. the less likely anyone is to actually do something wow yeah um, there was it was, It started off with this famous story of uh, this lady I think it was uh, in the 60 uh, 
Kitty Holmes, I think. Kitty something. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was on her way home and she got attacked and she was murdered. But there were like 20 people in uh, buildings all around her and she's calling out for help and no one did anything oh. because everyone else thought that one of the other 19 people would go and help her. And as a result of that, she ended up dying. And so it, uh, people began doing research into this, like, why did no one help this lady when everyone heard her calling for help? Mm. And the idea was that no one helped because everyone else thought, oh, someone else will do it. Someone else will do it, yeah. And then it became known as the diffusion of responsibility. We try and delegate responsibility to other people. And we go, oh, someone else can. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it, that probably would have been similar with this guy, you know, He's obviously sick. He's obviously hurt or whatever. And, you know, everyone's like, well, there's a whole stadium of people here. Surely somebody else will. And no one wants to be the person Mm -hmm. to go and help. Mm -hmm. Well, do you know what? I have to admit, at first thought you're like, of course I would help. But then if you think about it a bit more, right, as 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 another marathon runner, you know, you've been training for four years for this moment. Yeah. And then you have, you know, one of your fellow guys who takes a tumble and you don't know why he's fallen. You don't know if he's just twisted his ankle and then it might cost you the medal because some guy's just twisted his ankle and he'll be yeah. perfectly fine without your help. Or whether or not, you know, he's actually had like, I don't know, like an aneurysm and he's, you know, nothing you can do about that anyway. Or if, or if he's just, you know, like this guy had heat stroke, right? Mm. Or... um. You know, you're not quite sure why he's fallen and to stop and to find out might cost you, you know, what you've been working so hard for for four, four years. Yeah. Um, and then the other, you know, as a, as a bystander, you know, it's it's kind of hard because, I mean, there were people who, who were shooting back at the criticism and they say, you know, it's too harsh. Uh, people don't know what to do because of the rules and also the athlete's wishes because, you know, we've all seen a race where someone's fallen but they've gotten back up and finished the race. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, you know, and there must be some sort of rules in play. Like, is it is it the rules if someone comes out to help you that you're then disqualified? Like, or is it, you know, if you're out and you fall and you sit there for a minute and then get back up and keep going, you're still in. But if someone, in, you know, interrupts you out, you know, mm, I, I, sure. I don't know what the rules are. I don't know what the, what the guy would have, you know, wanted me to help him or something or if he wanted me. It, it is actually hard. And then also there's the, the query of like, I'm not qualified. Like, I don't. I, I barely know basic first aid. Yeah. I've been like, mate, you doing all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Uh, just give him a little pat on the shoulder. There, there, there. there. The <laughs> yeah. I guess I I wouldn't know what to do, and uh, and I, but I think this is really sad that you know, now that we've thought about it, neither of us would probably have done anything. Yeah. Um. I think the most I would have done is I I would have whipped out my phone. But I would have dialed triple zero. I would yeah. not have been taking pictures. I, I think that's massively inappropriate. Yeah, and see now that you now that you mention like you know most people aren't trained paramedics, they don't know what to do. I'm just like, yeah, okay, I can see why you know it, it's kind of excusable to not want to do anything and all the rules. Like you have some good reasons to not immediately jump up and be you know the the hero of the day. But I think. Um, what yeah as you said what was inappropriate was people taking pictures and stuff um uh, i don't know i've always had a bit of an issue with people taking pictures or video of others without their consent mm-hmm. especially when they're in a dire situation yeah i like i remember sometimes i'd be going out with friends and you know we'd be telling jokes and doing something funny and then i just realized that one of them has got their phone out and was recording me i was like why did you do that for? Like, oh, I want to share this with other people. I said, no, I did that for you, not for every one of your friends. I didn't do that for everyone else. I did it for you guys in this context and in this setting with these people. Mm -hmm. And it really annoys me when other people go and start spreading stuff of me with others that I didn't give permission for. So, and that's just like, 
that's just me in a social setting. No, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not in a dire situation. But this guy, you know, he was obviously in a, yeah. a very embarrassing uh, position. And so sensitive, I, awkward state. Yeah, I think yeah. it was a bit, uh, a bit insensitive yeah, to be taking pictures. Yeah, I mean, if oh, by the way, if you if you have a different opinion about what you would have done, give us a call one eight hundred Faith FM, and you can weigh in on this topic. I mean, I think even though I don't know, if, you know, um, paramedics or first aid or that kind of thing, I think I could have still asked him. You know, are you alright? Is there anything I can do for you? And, and who knows? Maybe he would have been able to articulate water and then i yeah, could give yeah. him a drink or something um but then once again yeah like what are the rules are you are you allowed to climb over the barrier and help an athlete that's fallen down uh it is it is a bit of a, a sticky situation but yeah it's um i don't know i feel like the world is changing because we have all these rules and we don't know what to do anymore i feel like back in the day people would have been like oh for sure we'll help that guy mm, interesting yeah it's interesting hey no one wants to cross the mm. uh cross the line and then have to go through all this red tape no yeah, and then no one wants trouble. to do it yeah, yeah. Man, isn't that interesting that uh, forms and rules and yeah. paper is preventing? <laughs> yeah, like, would you have gotten fined for climbing the the, bar- the you know the barricade? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, gotten in trouble or something like that? You know, because you're not officially not wearing uh, you know one of those high vis vests or something. Yeah. yeah. It's it's strange. I mean, you, you often see like you know those old uh, games where people like help other people across the finish line, and it's such a feel good moment. And it's like, yeah, but didn't they get reamed afterwards? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's definitely changed uh, changed how we help other people mm. uh, for sure. But definitely an interesting story coming out of the Commonwealth Games, and uh, and they have closed now, and we look forward to their return in four years' time. But we're going to have a quick break now, and uh, we're going to be back with uh, Chris Rice, A Mighty Fortress Is Our God, and of course, the uh, interview, which we are very excited about today. We're going to have a gangster on, on, on our radio, would you believe? Thank you. 
Welcome back to Faith FM. You're with The Breakfast Show here with Mon and Christopher. And uh, someone just texted through uh, about what we were just talking about with the uh, with the Olympics. Thanks, Steve. Um, and they sent us through a link for the rules of, uh, of an insight about how rules can prevent someone from accepting medical help at games. And that's just incredible that there's actually like a page on the internet with rules about that. How many spectators would think to themselves, you know what, before we go out to spectate this, let me just check the rules. Like That's everyone's favourite thing to do, right? Yeah, check no, the rules. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's astounding that there literally are rules for this because I never would have thought to check the rules on whether or not I can help an athlete out who's collapsed yeah. or, you know, needs medical help. Anyway, thanks for uh, chiming in, Steve. Continue chiming in if you're interested, 1-800-FAITH-FM. But for now, I'm very excited because we have... Would you believe we have a gangster on the phone? Well, what? a former gangster. Welcome to the show, Josh Gonzalez. How you doing? Oh, I'm very well this morning. How are you, Josh? Yeah, not bad. Not bad, thank you. Now, Josh, uh, I have known you for a little while, and your story, every time I hear it, I just I can listen to it over and over again. It's such an incredible testimony of what the Lord can do for us. Let's just jump straight into it because we don't have too much time and you have a big story. So start us off. Tell us a little bit about, you know, where it began, how, how you, your journey of faith. Yeah, well, my, my journey of faith began when I was uh, basically since I was little because my, my parents were Christians. Um, however, my experience growing up um, as, as a kid and as a teenager, it was, it was a very lukewarm Christian experience. So even though we'd go to church and things like that, we were very, very worldly people. Um, and so as, as I got older and I started hanging around certain people in the, in the neighborhood that I grew up in, I started to get uh, very attracted to a certain lifestyle, certain type of music, uh, you know, um, rap and gangster rap came out in the early 90s, blew up and yeah, it kind of swept me along with it. So before I knew it, I was, you know, finding myself uh, hanging out with people that were like-minded and and we just started to adopt this lifestyle and, and we started to, to really um, be heavily influenced by it. Um, so that, that's, that's, you know, that caused me to sort of be, you know, the foot that was out in the world became bigger, if you know what I mean. And, you actually and I started, decided to do a career in this, didn't you? Well, yeah, eventually when I, when I left high school, um, I, I grew up in the southeast part of Sydney in a, in a neighborhood called Hillsdale. And I had a lot of friends from my area, people that I went to school with. Um, but then as I was uh, finishing up, uh, when I finished high school, I, I, um, I started dating a girl that was living out in the western suburbs of Sydney. And um, I started hanging out there and I came across some other Hispanic uh, young, young guys out there. And, and, and then I just started to realize that, you know, my old friends as well as my new friends, everyone was into, into rap music and some of them were doing rap music. And then when I gave it a go, I... I you know, me as well as the ones around me realized that I was pretty good at it. So yeah, I started, I started rapping, and, and um, I ended up doing it for about eleven years. Um, and I got to a point where I was offered a record deal, and I was offered a dinner to go international and do some tours around uh, Latin America and things like that. But the crazy thing is, is that at the same time while all of that was happening, um, the Lord was also trying to reach me. Um, because the girl that I started dating, um, she belonged to 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 the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and, and um, she'd want me to go to church with her and that. But, you know, I'd, I'd always be happy to go to church because I believed in God, but I was so heavy in the world that, uh, you know, a Christian life 
uh, wasn't really um, what I was looking for. I was looking for a different kind of life. And yeah, a whole bunch of things, you know, happened as well in in between. Um, the, the guys that I was uh, doing music with, uh, we'd go out and we'd do shows. Um, and before we knew it, we, we used to start to have a like an entourage that would come out with us. So it wasn't just a group. There was like five of us in the group doing the rap music. But every one of us had friends and the friends would have friends. And before we knew it, you know, we'd basically be going out to clubs and sometimes there'd be like 50 of us and, and you know, most of us were bald-headed, you know, we look like Mexican gangsters from LA. Most of the boys had tattoos everywhere. And so when we'd go out, you know, people would kind of be in shock and, and, and some people would be scared at seeing us and we kind of, uh, we, we, we fed off that, you know, we loved to, to make people feel that way. And um, Is this how you ended up thing, getting involved in, uh, in gang violence and, and well, gang Well, yeah, because one, one thing led to another and, and um, some of the friends that we had were from, they actually had come from Central America where there was a lot of, you know, gang activity and things like that happening even to this day. Uh, and it wasn't before long that someone started speaking about, hey, you know, we've got enough guys. And and during that time, there was quite a few things happening in, in the city of Sydney where some of the, the most well-known Latin spots um, were being taken over by by islanders and other people. And so the idea came about, you know, we should form a gang, you know, for, for the Hispanics, you know, to kind of uh, stand up for the Hispanics and this and that. And, and yeah, but some of the guys... Um, that were trying to get this all happening, you know, we said that we wanted to do, uh, make a gang for kind of, you know, even though there's no real good reason to ever form a gang, we, we thought we were doing it for good reasons. Mm. But some of the other boys um, had some other ideas in mind and we ended up becoming part of a, a criminal network that, that works, um, that's kind of global right now. Um, and this was a very gangs, serious, yeah. a very serious criminal organization because you know, the Lord actually yeah. had to save your life at one point, didn't he? Well, yeah. Well, what happened was while this was all happening, um, I uh, started um, going to church, and, and and one of the friends, one of the guys that was in the gang with me, actually got a, a a pamphlet in his letterbox one day telling him about some meetings that were happening in the city of Sydney, and um, and I was really into like conspiracy theories and stuff at that time, uh, and there were some symbols on these pamphlets and he was like, you know, you should come with me, you should come with me because you know about this stuff. And I didn't want to go at first, but he persuaded me to go with him. And and I went to these meetings one day and uh, that's where I met um, Lyle, who's actually um, the host or co-host. Yeah, of, he's a host of our show, show yeah. when he's not away up in yeah. Heathcliff. So, yeah, it's actually remarkable that their stories here are interwoven because he was doing a, um, yeah. preaching a series, the one that you went to. Yeah, he was. He was preaching a series on um, the mystery religions, um, and and yeah. So I went there, and and I was like really blown away because like even though I'd grown up in church, I you know, yeah, I, I never. I, I wanted to do my own thing, so I kind of fell away from God. But then I was going through this phase where I was looking at all these things that are happening in the world, but then I could never tie the stuff that I knew was going on in the world with the Bible until I went to the, the presentation that day and, and I was blown away. And, and then I met Lyle and introduced himself. He told me he was a, a Seventh-day Adventist. I was a little bit disappointed to hear that at first because in my mind, um, Seventh-day Adventists weren't, weren't good Christians in the sense that the stuff they believed in wasn't true. That's what I believe. So he offered to do some Bible studies with me and he'd come to my house and, 
and you know come week after week and yeah eventually I was just like blown away by the stuff that I learned and I was at a point in my life where I was forced to make a big decision because I felt that the Lord was speaking through, you know, to me through those studies and, and was, was, you know, had a different plan for my life. And then I would look at my life and, you know, by this time I'm in a gang, I'm, I'm doing rap music, I'm, I'm taking drugs, I'm selling drugs, I'm involved in criminal activity. I'm doing all this like kind of really messed up stuff, mm. you know, for a Christian. So I was like, I need to, I need to make some decisions and, and change some things. So I, I made the, decision to leave leave the gang that I was involved in as well as some other things in my life and and yeah but unfortunately the the reaction from the rest of the boys wasn't what I was expecting I was kind of expecting you know if I'm going to do something positive with my life then, then my, these guys were like my brothers man that would back me up but um they actually turned on me and mm. um overnight yeah my best friends the guys that on the streets I would have literally taken a bullet for them um they like became my enemies in a sense and so I uh, it's just a kind of it's just a kind of organization I was involved in, you know. You can't just kind of leave that easily. So they kind of let me go, but just with the whole thing of you know we're watching you and and you better be a Christian. And so I went off trying to be a Christian and and trying to do you know my best and going to church, etc. But but then a few things happened. You know, one I didn't uh, let go of the music. I kept doing music. Um, I said I wanted to do, you know, positive music instead of all the gangster stuff I was doing. But mm-hmm. while I was involved in music, you know, there was still always drugs around. There was still always uh, temptation and women and all this kind of stuff that's involved. You know, every time you go to the studio, every time you go to the clubs, there's alcohol, everything. So I was always battling with all that stuff. But then something happened where my cousin went out one night uh, to King's Cross in Sydney and he was drunk and he got into a fight with some security guards that, uh, the trademark hotel and, and um, yes, yeah, someone hit him and he fell down and he hit his head on the on the on the pavement and he ended up in intensive care and, and he ended up dying and, and he had a small small child. My little nephew was like three months old at the time and, and that was something that, that really hit me hard because I I was trying to be faithful in that in that time and I was, you know, praying that God would save him and, and, and I believed that God would save him and when he didn't um, I just I wasn't in a strong place mm. of faith to handle that. You know, I got angry with God. I was confused, and long story short, I, I ended up kind of reverting back to some of my old ways to the point where I ended up in many senses worse than I was before. I I decided to make changes with my life, and mm-hmm. by this time, my old friends had uh, seen my new life. I had started hanging around with with the guys that I grew up with. I was doing rap music again. I started going back to my bad lyrics and. And even though I wasn't in a gang anymore, the guys that I hang out with, if you saw them, you'd think they were a gang. Um, so when my old friends from the gang I left saw all this stuff, they started threatening me to the point where one night um, they they caught up with me out in Mount Druitt in, in Western Sydney. And, and um, yeah, I ended up um, in a high-speed car chase. Uh, they literally tried to kill me that night. Um, and then, yeah, everything just kind of <laughs> went downhill really quick. Um, I found myself at the worst place, like the lowest point in my life. Um, I started to get depressed um, and I was being such a bad husband. I, I had a baby girl at that time. She was about six months old, but I was being so bad as a husband coming home very late and everything, always, you know, drunk and stoned and all these things. My, you know, my marriage was, you know, almost broke up twice during that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the relationship with my family was breaking up because of my lifestyle. 
I had a great job at that time. I was on my last warning at work because my lifestyle was uh, affecting, you know, my work. And, and now my friends found out that these other guys that used to be my friends tried to do something to me. And now they wanted to, to, to literally go out and, and, you know, if need be, kill people. And, and just everything was just just messed up really bad. And, and that's when I had a, a moment where, you know, I started hearing a voice telling me to that the only way to sort out all my problems was if I would just not be around anymore. So there I am, and, and I'm at this place in my life where I'm at the lowest point. I'm contemplating taking my own life, and and I didn't want to pray because I, I believed that I had done too much wrong as a Christian, you know, to come to God now. Mm-hmm. But somehow, you know, the Lord, out of His mercy, led me to a place where I found myself on my knees praying, and, and I just poured out my heart to God, and and what happened that afternoon by myself in my in my bedroom um, was just an experience that I'll never forget. I, I literally felt the Lord pour out His love on me that day, and and I had an, a real for the first time in my life, 26 years old, I had a real encounter with Jesus, um, and it was such an experience that changed my life forever. So just in the last so, yeah. minute and a half, tell us what it is you're doing for God now, because you've come a long way from being a gangster. <laughs> Right now, like God is good because I knew after what happened to me that day, I just knew in my heart that God, um, you know, I wasn't, He didn't do what He did for me so I could be a pew warmer on Sabbath, you know, at a church. I knew that He was calling me to ministry. So I just started doing whatever I could. I'd, I'd even go out on the streets and start preaching and sharing with people, you know, what God has done for me. Um, and yeah, what ended up happening is that then God provided the opportunity for me to go to college with a sponsorship from the Sydney Conference. Um, and today I'm actually an associate pastor at two churches in Sydney in the Northern Beaches. Um, I've been involved in ministry uh, ever since that day. And um, and God is good, you know. He's just blessing us out here in the ministry. And and But I, I just I can't do anything else with my life, you know. I, after everything that's happened, I... Every day that I have, and I have two beautiful girls now, my wife, my marriage is, is you know, praise God that it's, it's all good because he's part of my marriage now and my family. And But I realize that everything, every single day and everything that I have is literally a gift from God because I should, you know, I wasn't able to give you much detail of everything, but I should be either dead or in jail right now. And I'm not, I'm here. Um, so. You're here and you're a pastor, which is such an incredible testimony to God about how he can turn around anyone's life. You know, if, where anyone, Josh, where yeah. you started to where you are now, pastoring um, churches and ministering to uh, to God's um, lost sheep is just an incredible story. And we thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, we yeah, hope no, that you have you a you know, yeah. yeah wonderful success uh, pastoring there in the northern beaches. Um, may God be with you, and thank you for sharing your story. We're going to have a song break now, and guys. then we'll be back with the 8 o'clock news, and after that, our encounter with God. Thanks so much, Josh.
to Faith FM, positively different radio. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood. Of mortal ills prevailing For still our ancient foe Doth seek to work us woe His craft and power are great And armed with cruel hate On earth is not his equal His kingdom is forever 